Not everything metal was created equal. What an ugly thing to say. The Metal Sucks Podcast. Shiggity Chuck and Godless attempt to bring order to chaos or just make stupid jokes about dumb people. Stupid. A person below normal intelligence. This is the Metal Sucks Podcast. Greetings and salutations, my fine yes. metal friends. Welcome to another edition of the Metal Sucks Podcast. I am Chickity Chuck. And I'm Godless. And this is our we weekly all. examination of uh, metal. Happy Thanksgiving week and all that good stuff. Uh, it's going to be a long week. I'm on vacation this week, so... Uh, oh, it started for you? That's right. Yes, technically, I am I am off right now. Then why aren't we doing a double episode? Well, because um, because we need to be timely. We need to make sure that we are... In the moment, I know man. we are in the moment. That's we got so much to talk about. It should be two I know, hours. Long. I know, I know. We brought. We probably should be actually this week. We've got a, a bunch of topics that we're trying to narrow down to something. Uh, but uh, we got a good show for you, plan man. Uh, this week's episode brought to you by TuneTrack, the Swedish software company behind the drum samplers and software tools many of our favorite bands rely on for songwriting and studio work. Easy Drummer, Superior Drummer, Easy Mix Two, and more. All throughout November, they are celebrating Metal Month, an entire month dedicated to only metal. Head to TuneTrack.com for new gear, deals, and happenings, man. Have you been following some of those stories that they've been posting on Metal Sucks? About I have that? been actually. Yeah, yeah. me too. And I, you're an engineer. I'm not an engineer. I'm not not a musician i'm not nothing but still it's interesting stuff and man dude i can't i don't understand why anybody who makes music wouldn't want to grab some of this stuff i mean it sounds like a total plug but man this stuff sounds like it's awesome no and it and you just don't realize you're listening to it that's that's what's yeah. really weird is that you know half these people are already using it and you don't even know it yeah yeah, yeah. you're like whoa that's crazy man yeah yeah, yeah. and so. two track let me uh, uh just make out the check to cash <laughs> right <laughs> well, man. very good uh, this week's episode, we get a uh, special guest, Billy Milano, the always controversial oh, Billy Milano. So, but the, he's not, Larry, well, he is controversial. He's this always time. controversial. He, he had to stick in the controversial. We tried to avoid the controversial, but he hit the controversial, but... But but it's a pretty God. emotional emotional little interview. What the hell's up with good. us, man? I don't know. Every freaking interview, everybody's talking about people dying and you know, uh, coping. But, and Well, actually, I think it's because... Is uh, it you or is it me? I, I think it's me. Is it? Is it, we're talking to older people? Or are they? It's like yeah, we got to get have like an age limit for a little while, right? Maybe the the young kids don't talk about their, their dead uh, dead or dying relatives and all that stuff. I don't think you know. Yeah. Asking Alexandria, They're I thought happy. this was going to be the funny interview. I've got. Uh, let's see, we're gonna we're gonna play a terrible cover song during this episode. <laughs> I can't wait. Oh, I'm gonna torture you, Godless. It's gonna be fun with the uh, <laughs> yeah, because you know I listen to these episodes like over and over again after do. we put them. So. I'm you with the song that we're going to pop in here in just a little bit. But uh, one of the big things that happened, I guess, this week, or was it last week, that uh, that the, the stage dive heard around the world happened? Oh, so good. Dude, did you see that? that, that sta- I, I finally watched the video for that stage dive. And so good. What? the hell all right we but we, we we can't talk about that right now right or are we talking about that now i thought we we're talking about that now are we yeah oh, we're talking okay. about that now that's oh, gonna be that's our segment now right? okay awesome good yeah good D- dude what the hell no who is that dude in the first place i have no idea who that guy is I first have, off I, all right here we go 
I am a Watsky fan. I've been a Watsky fan. Okay. Okay. He's got this awesome song about Monday, Tuesday, by the Friday, Wednesday. You know, it's all good. It's a Friday, Friday. Something like that. That one? That one? No, no, it's not that one. But he's interesting. He's like, he has like one of those things where like all of a sudden he'll start like, uh, bubbling from the mouth and seize up and fall on the floor. What do they call that? Uh, epileptic seizure. Yeah, he's got epileptic. He's an epileptic. Epi- epilepsy. Yeah, yeah. and uh, uh, yeah, he's a white rapper, or whatever. But uh, yeah, cool stuff. I was bummed out when he came to town. It was sold out before I realized it was happening, and I was huh. like, oh, boy, I would have okay. gone to that. I, have no I would have gone alone, have no but idea. I would have gone. <laughs> I have no idea what that is. I really don't. Like I've never heard of this dude. Oh, he's awesome. But uh, but I'm kind of sheltered when it comes to anything else but metal. <laughs> metal yeah. I'm like, I, I just don't want to. <laughs> I don't even want to go there. You're not open-minded. No, I'm not open-minded. <laughs> not at all. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's doing like a, a Vans warp Tour in, in England or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the dude climbs up all the way up the scaffolding to the top of the lights, which is like, I don't know, like 24, 25 feet in the I air. I think it's higher than that, honestly. They, they, they put it in meters, and I don't oh, know what right. the exchange is. Yeah. So, yeah but it, it was pretty It's like three tall. stories yeah, up. Yeah, it was up there. And he jumps into the crowd. And the crowd parts. Because that's what the crowd does <laughs> when something is skyrocketing at them uh, from, from that high up. Now, he's not particularly a big dude. He's a little twerp. You know, he's like 22 years old, 110 pounds. And, and man, that came crashing to the ground. Well, I'll tell you, you know, from experience trying to stage dive before, that when that crowd parts and you're jumping like from a three-foot stage down to the ground and you land on your fucking ass man it hurts <laughs> yeah. it hurts and you know, i'm a 250 pound guy so so yeah that's it's kind of painful that's why they separate when i try to stage dive <laughs> but this guy flying from the ceiling it's that was that was i mean it was ballsy for him to go up there and try it uh-huh. to say the least i mean at least i'll give him that but that was the dumbest thing i've ever seen in my no, entire it's life not that dumb. was that was stupid no that was totally stupid. it was awesome i mean i feel bad the kid got you know wheeled out on a stretcher and i'm bummed that you know somebody broke their arm and somebody else hurt their back but man you know what? well you know besides all that stuff i mean you know whatever you know you just had a fan that broke their back i and, know but, you know, but what well, I'm saying yeah, all that other stuff you know but dude i mean if you don't like that then you don't like exciting shows whatever dude I, I don't think you have to do that to be to be exciting because honestly they were doing a cover of another brick in the wall while that was going yeah on. that's not the right the, song so that was happening right there and he's like uh, it was like he was bored but and had to get some kind of attention. But dude, so he, he climbed up there and no, uh, he wanted to be a brick. To kill he went off the wall. You know, he was not, he's going to do something different. Now, somebody might call it stupid. I call it uh, well, stupid, but <laughs> stupid, <laughs> with stupid, ast- but with an asterisk. <laughs> yeah, that's the really. difference. Got to have an asterisk. I, th- I think it's exciting. I think it's awesome. I think it's dangerous. And I'm thank goodness that somebody's willing to try to do something to kind of shake everybody out of this catharsis. You go to concerts, everybody stands there, they stare at their shoes. It's boring as hell. I might as well stay home and just play the music, the, the CD loud, because God knows they played it better in the studio anyway. This kid goes up there and he's like, you know what? I'm gonna. Sh- 
shake this foundation. And unfortunately, he did it with his own body thudding against the floor. But he's trying to mix it up. He's doing something that you've never seen before. And how awesome is that? But it has been seen before. It's been done before. They've been, you know, whether it's Eddie Vedder hanging from the rafters in 1992 at a Pearl Jam concert, whether it's, you know, Greg Piscato swinging from the rafters at a a Dillinger Escape Plan show. I mean, it's one thing to have music and motivate you to go do something like that because it's part of the moment and the music and all that stuff. It's another just to be a douchebag that wants to get attention by climbing up there and fuck up his no, fans. No, he wasn't trying to do it for attention. He was motivated by the music just as much as anybody. The all kid, in all, it's just another dude, brick in the wall. And he just starts climbing and everybody stops playing. That was motivation. Yeah, the, I mean, the band should on, not dude. have stopped playing. That was what, the most what, unprofessional what thing. What I'm saying is, is that I don't think that the, mu- the moment was anything that he was into. I think he was just trying to show off. And I mean, if you're just trying to show your fucking balls, then who cares? That I, That's not what it's about. I mean, if you're in the moment and you feel it, that's a whole nother animal. And I mean, I didn't see the video leading up to it. Maybe he was totally consumed by this cover of a brick in the wall that they were doing and was overwhelmed with the, the feeling that he had inside and had to climb out of it and, and break his freaking back or whatever. But I just don't see it. How do you man. know what it is? It. How do you know what it is that motivated? Him? I don't know what motivated. I know, him. and I, I'm I, saying I'm kn- giving him the benefit of the doubt. I know that I'm not motivated by his music. Oh, and I also know that his crowd was not motivated that much because they got out of the way. Yeah, yeah right. I totally. mean, you know, they, so I think Greg you know Puscato, they catch him. When he when he jumps off the stack, they catch him. That's because and they move him. But you go- Ben Wyman can stand on his crowd and surf and still play his guitar, standing up on somebody's head in that crowd for five minutes of an entire song because the crowd is that into it. This guy fell flat on his fucking well, ass. He thought the crowd was into it, but, but apparently they weren't. They weren't. Yeah. So, what can I say? mean, I don't the, know. the kid plays like, I mean, he tours like 250 days out of the year. I mean, he's, he, he's an active tour. I mean, he won't be touring that much for the next few months, but <laughs> right. you know, he's, he's an active touring. So this was not like, this was this moment was not something that I think he pre-planned or anything like no, that. I there's think, no way. I mean, no. he, he couldn't have pre-planned. He just saw that ladder sitting next to him, and he started climbing up there yeah. and and went for it. And, and, I, I, and there's balls to that part absolutely. of it. But, but at the same time, you need to judge. Okay, the, it, what it says is, is that our education system in the world <laughs> is not good because nobody knows that an object falling at 32 feet per second <laughs> will accelerate at this rate before it hits the ground. He has no idea anything about physics uh, and what could possibly happen look, jumping off a structure that high. The way I look at it is everybody survived. Everybody's going to heal up and be better again. And you know what? Thousands and thousands of people are never going to forget that concert. This How awesome one, is that? This one time. You do it. You, if you do it wrong, not everybody survives. I mean, that, that's the problem is that or somebody gets permanently hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the ending of what we were talking about. That was somebody else. Uh, uh, I can't remember what band. It was another local. It was actually, I think, an Austin band. Lead singer had the same thing where he like to jump off into the crowd and stuff climbed up uh, on the raptors and jumped off and broke somebody's back yeah paralyzed them for life oh that's you know things like that happen yeah. you know the 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 girl that broke her arm is just lucky that it was just her arm yeah. and not her neck yep you know so i'm it makes me think like the dad in this hey you know good damn you kid get off the raptors you stupid idiot you know i, I don't understand how but, how like you know dillinger escape plan are allowed but this 
kid's not. Well, if you go back and listen to that episode, <laughs> then you find out because they got insurance. They've got s- lots of insurance yeah. now, <laughs> lots and lots. I imagine Watsky's going to have some going for uh, plenty <laughs> because uh, yeah, because they've been sued. You know, they, yeah. they've been sued for injuries. They've been sued for stuff like that, and but they still continue to do it. Um, I think it's I awesome. I, I just uh, I you feel like what? it's more in the moment for them than it is. But I, I don't not knowing Watsky, I have no idea. Right? But. There's no way to tell. But I just feel like like man, it's an exciting, exciting show. It's an exciting moment. It's memorable, and it's a hell of a lot better than most bands that stand there and bored. They look bored. I'm bored. Everybody's bored, and then they walk out going, "Yeah, man, they sounded really good." Who cares, man? I'm there for something memorable. I want to see a show that's got that I'll never forget. And you know, if it's Mike Patton climbing up the walls and 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 you know in his mask and with Mister Bungle and all that sort of thing, I, I'll never forget that. It was awesome. Yeah, it was exciting, yeah. and he got into a, probably a shitload of trouble for it. Yeah. Great. I, I don't. I, that, yeah, but, I what's not. What, what also, is it to love about? But he that? also didn't jump three stories into a crowd. I, 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 what I'm saying is that he it, didn't try to go all Superman on it. You know, I mean, there's there's a moment. There, there's bad judgment. Yes, I mean, there's yes, definitely absolutely. bad, bad, bad judgment. I don't deny that. And and I know bands that push the boundary. Like Dillinger is one of those that, that pushes the boundaries of bad judgment. And obviously, sometimes, sometimes they made some bad judgments because <clears throat> people got hurt. Exactly. And and that That's has awesome. been to their de- to their detriment before. But has it changed the way they do it? Eh, probably a little bit. Okay, we're not going to climb to the rafters this time. We're just going to go to the stacks this time. It just it just sucks when you know you got Randy Blythe won't touch anybody on stage anymore. No, nor will Gojira. Nor will anybody else. And you know, and then uh, what was it? Uh, ice uh, Ice uh, T was on or Ice Cube? Which one? Oh, was it? Uh, Ice Ice T at Fun Fun Fun. Yeah, Fest. he punched somebody off the stage. I mean, because the kid was asking for it. And that, yeah, they, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and cool. No, cool. Not, see, I was, and it's different when you got the band doing it versus people doing it. I, I, I was tired of the people doing it at Gojira. I wanted to. I, I, I did not want to see that anymore. I was done with people stage diving. I just, I'm fed up with it because you're because you're a dumbass. I just feel like if you get up there, you do a brief little dance and then you get off. I say don't try to like steal the show because I say you happen. get up there and somebody shoots you in the face no. because you are a dumbass for Dude. climbing on stage. Man, the greatest Saturday Night Live live performance ever was when Fear were on, like in season one or season two, and there were people stage diving off the Saturday Night Live stage. Freaking awesome! Uh, you know it. Uh, it's exciting. It's fun it's it, it you're it's dangerous and that was what well, that's what makes it great it's exciting fun and dangerous is one thing but it's another because uh people think oh that looks like cool how about we do that that's awesome man like the stuff we saw at fun 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 uh no that was not that was not because they were into the music that was because they were i want to get on stage once again a little bit i don't know what motivated them i don't know i i i kind of do because uh because the amount of skinny jeans and hipster glasses that i saw up there was hopefully that they're going to get pictures taken of them for for the recap later on or something crap like that you know i I don't you know fun 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 fest built a platform for people to stage dive off of and people took advantage of it and i think that's great no i know i know that's that's what they did that for but at the same time it's just it was annoying <laughs> i was just completely annoyed with i mean if they if they didn't want it to happen even if gojira didn't want it to happen it's very simple to just set some guys up there that keep anybody from getting to the platform but they didn't do that because they're like hey eh, you know what uh, randy Blythe, as long as i don't touch the kid before he dies 
I should be okay. <laughs> if they can't, if they murder themselves, if they murder themselves, I'm cool with then that. Then all, all is well. Yeah, <laughs> we, we just make sure you're filming everything so that we have video evidence of what's going to happen. Right? Absolutely. Here. And uh, and don't put your hand out. <laughs> I, I think it's awesome. I my, I applaud Watsky, and I wish he were metal because that's like the most metal thing that's happened all year. Eh, 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 whatever. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> that was dumb. <laughs> I don't. I think it was just stupid. Man, if there was a chance of something like that happening at most concerts, I'd get out more. I'm gonna often. send that kid a physics book. That's all I know. <laughs> it's like here, dude. You need to learn a little bit about science. Man, thank God for stupidity, this man. It's entertaining. Uh, uh, stupidity is one thing. Gravity is a whole other, man. <laughs> no, 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 ma- no matter how stupid you are, you're not going to overcome gravity. It always wins. Yeah, man. it's not the fall that kills you. It's the sudden stop. The sudden stop. All right, dude. We got to get into this interview with uh, Mr. Billy Milano. Uh, dude, we just basically, he came into the studio and, um, we just hit record. I know it just started. (laughs) I didn't even know we were doing an interview and we didn't really get a word in edgewise. So, (laughs) so basically, uh, you're about to spend a half hour with, um, Billy telling stories. You know, I'm writing. I've been writing a book. I was writing a book, my, which is my autobiography. I'm writing a raging bullshit, which is my book. <laughs> but it's not what you really think. It's it's actually you know, it's it's very similar in many regards to the way Howard Stern did his movie. It's a very truthful. It's not a thing. It's not me reflecting on my career. My career really never really meant anything to me. I mean, I enjoyed it, and I still do it and enjoy it. But it's not the main focus of my life. You know, I grew up a very uh, enabled person in my young 25 years old in my community. And my, as one of 11 children, I was forced into this life of being an adult, even though I wasn't always adultish. But uh, my, the book I've been working on, which is, is, which is getting there. It's pretty introspective. It's about, you know, it's more about, my understanding of life in general and how it how it correlates to to the madness that was my career in my life but you know i was working on that and then i was working on my cookbook now <laughs> see, I, that, that 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 i can get behind listen i mean i've been asked for years by everyone knows i cook i cook usually i usually cook this sunday coming up before thanksgiving i cooked for the last uh, so the first time i cooked was 19 19- Thanksgiving was 1998 and that's when I first started cooking Thanksgiving for everybody and I've my Thanksgiving has progressed to you know a service of community so basically it's a community outreach thing and so for the last five years I've cooked for more than 100 people per sitting which is brutal damn so I'm cooking three days straight but this year and I wanted to do it this Sunday. I do it at Bull McCabe's for the last couple of years. And I've done Christmas as well. Just this this year is a little bittersweet with my dog, you know, Buster passing away. So I'm going to uh, take my time and take this Christmas, Thanksgiving off. And I'll do Christmas at Bull McCabe's. But, um, you know, so I had been writing this cookbook and everyone has asked me for years, please submit, you know, rock and roll recipes Rock and roll yeah, cookbook. Yeah, because there's like a heavy metal cookbook. I don't have nothing to do with it. All that. Look, yeah, yeah. Everyone knows me. You know, people don't really know me, Chuck. Yeah. You no, know, they, they know, know me. They see me around town. They know who I am as an entertainer. And that's fine. That's what I let them see. 
but I've never been one to, to propagate, you know, the whole invasion of my life and my privacy by jumping into these things. I've never written for anybody in a book anywhere. So I've never written for Roger Moret from Agnostic Front. I've never written for Danny Loker. I've been asked for stories for all these people and just refused to be a part of it. I mean, I'm not a fan of the industry on any level, and I've never, and I never will be. But uh, my cookbook is more about an ode to my mom and to my heritage. And basically, I have my sisters and my mom and my grandmothers and my great grandmothers' recipes, and I'm putting them not only on in a book format but a video format as well. I'm going to do a cook show. Oh, nice. So, like a YouTube cook show kind of thing? Or, yeah. Or I mean, that? look, here's the thing. What better way to celebrate your family heritage and your and honor your mother and father than by bringing up the lessons in life that you learned from them? For my mom, is it was the, the fact that, you know, uh, you know that uh, your, your grandmother stands next to you when you cook, and it's part of your heritage, knowing good food and healthy food and sharing your table is, is optimal. When it comes to expressing your love and your your spirituality, and in my family, that's very important for me, and it shows a, a understanding of veneration that most people don't really get anymore. So, I mean, my cookbook is uh, is going to be the opus of my career. I really, really am looking forward to doing it. But I all got sidetracked uh, when my dog Buster passed away, which is he's been dying for the last year from some form of cancer. And I've done nothing but bust my ass and run home. And just for that. It's hard, man. That's it's so much harder than you think it is. Like I lost, uh, I lost my Husky about a little over a year ago and since then adopted a new guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, when she was going, it was, I couldn't let go. It was so hard to let go. Yeah. So hard to like, say now's the time. Sure. Actually, you know what? And I have to say, I mean, I, I've literally sold everything I've I've ever bought to try everything. I mean, I've tried every dog food, every experimental dog food. I cooked organic food for him, gave him, organ uh, you know, bottled water. I tried every freaking blood supplement, every tre treatment, and it was just basically, at the end of the day, his time. You know, you're talking about my, my not just my pet, you're talking about my friend. He was a real friend. And uh, and uh, I, I really did love him, and I I regret every time I spanked him, but I, I you had to do it sometimes, and um, sometimes I did it out of frustration, and sometimes I did it out of uh, out of uh, discipline. But I always I always uh, there was always a joyful face on him when we made up, and that that uh, it it brings uh, solace to my heart. But, uh, you know, it was also cathartic for me because it made me come to terms a lot with his sickness and illness, which I could not figure out. And I can figure out anything. I'm extremely well read and I educate myself, you know, v vigorously. I mean, I read vigorously. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was cathartic for me. It made me come to terms with the fact. I mean, it was a mechanism for me. It made me come to the fact that, you know, when my father was sick, I remember in the in the kitchen in my house, well, now you're talking in the 1986, and he was very skinny, and he had some kind of brain anomaly, a brain tumor, which he didn't tell us about because he was a stubborn Italian like me. But uh, I remember yelling at my dad, why are you sick? And I caught myself saying that to my dog, and it broke my heart to think that 
all this time I've held that in. So it, it, I think that was the lesson he was giving to me at the end. He was telling me that people get sick and we get sick and we founder and this is what we do. And, um, you know, it was, it was a lesson I learned from my dog to free my heart. And I did free my heart, but uh, I am so truly lonely now. And uh, even though I have a great dog, Emily, and I live in, I live at the, I live at the house uh, with my friend Carlos, who owns uh, Dirty Bills in uh, downtown West Sixth Street, and his son, him and his son, seem to have somehow usurped my dog for me. <laughs> Emily seems to be uh, only comes to me when I'm the only one home, but I don't blame her. She gets good attention, and I all my love went to Buster. But there is something good that came of it. I mean, I did discover a humbleness that uh, that I was very afraid to, to express in my life because of my dog. And, uh, you know, so in many regards, the lesson that he taught me was, uh, was that, uh, you know, that love is going to win in the end and really does truly... It really is truly the lesson that dogs give you. Love will win in the end. And so, oddly enough, I mean, Buster is gone now, not very long. He's gone now seven weeks. It doesn't seem like a long time, but it seems like eternity. I have a little <clears throat> I have a little area of memorium a memoriam for him mm-hmm. that uh that I say good morning to and good night to every day. And um but I do feel a need because I'm an animal activist and I'm back to being vegetarian again. And I really do feel that need to, uh, to express love in to someone else. And so I'm going out Monday to Houston and I'm going to look at this little girl. Her name is Lily. She's an American bulldog. Same as my girl, same as my boy. And I think if she gets along with Emily, which will be amazing if they do, because she's, she can be bitchy that's like the, every woman yeah, in my life. <laughs> but uh, if they get along, I think I'm going to bring her home with me and enrich her life. And I know I'll get it 10 times fold in return. Of course. And I, here's the thing. I know that Austin has Austin Pets Alive and uh, Town Lake Animal Shelter. And I absolutely and I, I really do absolutely support them. And I have brought them dog food when they bring puppies in and. You know, you got to try and give something. You can't always take it and eat it, and you can't always take it and buy a new dress or buy a new shirt or buy new boots. You got to give something back to these people that have given their heart and soul for fighting what seems to be a lost cause. I mean, it's... It's, it's never it, ending. It just keeps going. It's There's, a lost cause. Know. It's it's truly sad. But, you know, those are the causes you fight the hardest for. Yeah. And so uh, people should definitely support them, and I support... You know, all rescue groups, and, and my Facebook page re- reflects that, I like to think. But I also... <laughs> and then some. Yeah. That's, I, that's and, pretty much all you post. Yeah, I, that's all I care about. I mean, if you can help someone love, find love, you're, you've done your job in life. But the more importantly, I think, uh, you know, I think that uh, my rescue group that I choose to follow which is my breed, chosen breed, which I don't believe that any breed is any better than any other breed. No, it's just what it's you It's just what the what dogs that I with. reflect in my heart, yeah. which is the AmericanBulldogRescue.org. And uh, I think everyone should wake up from this cycle of stupidity that we're in 
in our country. And uh, instead of bitching and moaning, they should go out and do something to enrich their life. And again, Austin has Town Lake Animal Shelter and Austin Pets Alive. And when you go into that place, and I went in there in Austin Pets Alive, like a couple, you know, beginning of summer, I saw a post about about a, a dog that has thrown a litter of puppies and they were looking for some dog food. And I remember saying, oh, you know what? I was saving for a pair of a llama boots. And I was like, Tony Llamas. And I said, you know what? Tony Llamas got enough money. <laughs> so I went and bought a big 50-pound bag of food. I went in, took a picture with this sweet little dog who just threw puppies. Truly tragic to see this. But these people that work on these... Uh, in these uh, shelters and these rehabs and rescues, man, these people have unlimited courage. And, you know, bless them, blessed that we have people like that in this world. Did you grow up with dogs? You know, I, I had a couple when I was a kid, and somehow my dad always got rid of them, and I don't, I don't know what, how he got rid of them. It's sad to think that what he may have done, because my father was quite the stern man. But... uh I think that dogs are the mechanism that may be on this planet to make us become aware of ourselves. And so this is why when you see, when I see people walking with these dogs and they're weaponizing these dogs, pit bulls and other large breed dogs, putting 50 pounds of chain on them, I want to run those people over. And I really want to shoot those people and hurt those people. I mean, these are people that, and I'm talking mainly about the African-American community, and I'll be specific, because everywhere I've gone in the country, they seem to victimize the dogs everywhere, and that's only because they feel victimized themselves. And so by denigrating someone weaker than them, they feel empowered, and this is the, this is the psychological profile of a bully, and I don't, I don't agree with it. Was Buster your first? Buster was not my first. Buster was the dog. Well, here's a great story. My friend Joey, who I love, one of my friends that took care of me in Hoboken, we call him Joey Dogs. Joey had these dogs, American Bulldogs, and he had this one dog, Flash. Now, Flash was Buster's dad, and Flash is is the son or the grandson of Bruiser Bozak, which is the cousin of Chance from Homeward Bound. So that's okay. the dog's lineage. But the dog itself, Bo- Bozak, is the most winning American bulldog in history of American bulldogs. Beautiful animal. But, um, you know, uh, Flash was a puppy, and he was a huge goofball. He was just to walk around with him. And I, Jimmy, Joe let me watch him one day, and he's like, Billy, you want to take care of him for a while? I got a big granite job. <clears throat> he did granite for a living. He smashed a lot of granite, too, when people didn't pay him. But he did granite for a living. And uh, he said, Billy, you know, can you watch my dog? And I said, sure. So I had a small recording studio that I built in a, in a loft in Hoboken. But, and it was beautiful. I mean, it was, it was state-of-the-art for, you know, back then, <laughs> you're talking, you know, okay, I had 24 tracks. I had, I had a real-deal studio. And I was giving it to people for like, you know, 150 bucks a day that couldn't get into studios because they couldn't afford it. And I was just like, Dad, you know, you want to engineer? You know how to engineer? Here's, go ahead. You know, I don't give a fuck. Take a lesson in life and learn. You know, I'd, I'd give them an extra four or five hours. Go ahead. I'd be sleeping on the couch. 
They'd been in there playing with the Eventide for four hours. <laughs> it, was a, it was an amazing experience for me. I gained more amazing stories than uh, I gained profit. But that was never for, and nothing in my life was ever about profit. But, um, you know, Flash came to my studio, and I actually started working on uh, on the Gnostic Front record, Something's Gotta Give. Now, I, pro- I was managing them back in the day, and I produced that record and co-wrote it, Something's Gotta Give, for Epitaph Records. And I was getting ready to do the Madball record that was going to come in after that, and Flash decided to go in when the Gnostic Front was in Japan and uh, chew my wires up. So he chewed up $15,000 in studio wire. Uh-oh. And so I had to give him back to Joe. I was like, Joe, uh, your dog cost me fifteen grand today. And I mean, uh, though I literally had a guy in there soldering. You should have seen it. I had these beautiful snakes on the wall. It looked like, you know, like an experiment. You know, they were bitten everywhere. He had to slice them open, re-solder all the wires. It was insane. It took him a week of work just to go in there and solder so and and get all the bugs out of it. So it was amazing. You're talking the wire in a studio is the heart and soul of the studio. Yeah. But cheap wire and cheap sound, and it was not cheap. But Joe said to me, he said, Billy, when, he, when I have puppies, he said, when I have puppies, uh, I'll give you your choice of puppies. And I said, all right, you know, I'll keep it in mind, you know. Dog just cost me about 15 grand. That's what I want as a puppy. So, yeah, and, then, <laughs> right? like, and oddly enough, and it was maybe for the best, because four or five weeks later, I had a fire in my studio, and I lost my studio and my house to my uh, to the fire. And um, I wound up sleeping in a basement of a warehouse, like in a room, Chuck, that was six feet wide. It was like a prison cell. Six feet wide and 13 feet long. I mean, it was comfortable, but it was mentally taxing. So, and then, of course, I I, I started dating somebody when we did the SOD reunion, and she was absolutely insane. And But the, Joe said to me, I want you to come to the, uh, to the tile room, to his showroom. He's got uh, something he wants to show me. And I walked in, and all these dogs are running around. I'm like, oh, no, man. Here we go. Terrible timing. And he goes, Billy, this one's yours. He goes, I picked him up, and it looked just like Flash. It's the same eye patch and the same uh, the same uh, beautiful face, innocent. And uh, I couldn't say no, and I was a proud papa when I got him. And he pissed on my carpet and ate my couch, <laughs> and he did all the things that Flash did, you know. But, you know, uh, I have no regrets. My only regret is that, uh, and it's all hindsight, is that I went on the road, actually, as much as I did with him when he was home. He only missed one or two tours from me in the later part of his life. He had done every tour with me from 2000 on, and uh, it was awesome. I mean, Buster and Emily together, when they were both on the road, had their own tour pass. They had their own babysitters everywhere I went. Those dogs got treated better than us. Even places in Boston. Now, I played Boston, which is like, you know, the, the town is very. Not much of a college town. Nah. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Sir Eaton Hogs, as Sir Eaton Hogs says. Uh, Boston is very chic. Maybe too good for its own chicness. 
You know what I'm saying? So everything is about, is so regulated in Boston. They're so stringent. By the numbers. They Mm -hmm. are totally, absolutely methodical at times, and it's troublesome that they love such great music and put out some great music like, you know, the FUs and Straw Dogs and Gang Green and, you know, all those great bands, mm. SSD Control and Voltron and mm. Slapshot and Dropkick Murphys, and it was Jerry's Kids. Some of the stuff I saw was wonderful. But uh, I remember going to play a club in Boston, and they are like, we can't have dogs in here. We have a kitchen. And I was like, well, I put it on my writer that my dogs, I literally have turned away from shows with my dogs. I went to Brooklyn during a snowstorm. And they're like, yeah, you could just park on the street. I'm like, but I said, I have parking for my vehicle. You said it's covered. And you're going to tell me I'm just going to park on the street. I go, okay, well, let me get my, and I want to bring my dogs in. He goes, you can't bring your dogs in the club. I go, listen. He goes, listen, your dogs, they look tough. They'll be okay in the car. And I said, you know what? Hold on. I'll be right back. I'm going to go park. And I drove down the block and left and went home. Went to my mom's house. And they were all pissed off at me in, in New York. Oh, you're a pussy and this and that. Hey, how about this? When people tell you they're going to do something, do it. I do it. Why do I have to be the only one? But uh, in Boston, they were like, you know, we really can't uh, bring your dogs inside because we have a kitchen. And within 20 minutes of someone meeting my dogs in there, they go, we'll bring them into the back area and we'll bring them into the the lounge downstairs and which is part of the band area. And we'll just got to lock them up. We can't bring them in the club. And I said, all right. And so I did that. And I came down before I played to uh, get ready. And there's five people in there from the restaurant all playing with them. I'm like, all right, I see how it is. Like you said, man, dogs tell you what kind of character people have, man. It's a, how you treat those that are lesser than you. And of course, and dogs can tell right like that what kind of person you are like the but it whole sounds nine. like it sounds like buster kind of, this has kind of changed you a little bit which must make it really challenging when you're trying to write an autobiography because it's like man the person i started writing about is a little different now well, right? uh, well yeah well life's lessons has has rolled over itself i mean listen i it it, it is truly it, it truly is baffling to me that something as simple as a dog wagging at sale would melt my heart especially someone who is a prick his whole life. But I wasn't always bad with everybody. I was just very resolved in being standoffish. I've never been accessible to the fans or to anyone that I wasn't comfortable with. I didn't never want to be, you know, Billy Milano entertainer extraordinaire. That's never really what I wanted to do. It's just what I do. I mean, I'm not that I'm the greatest singer in the world or the greatest entertainer in the world, but I've walked into a room and I can steal the room, and that's just a fact. And it's just because I don't give a rat's ass. I mean, I did it to, I'll never forget, I played L.A. And it, with S.O.D. at the at the uh, Whiskey A Go-Go, two shows. And I walked in a room, and there's all these fucking people in the dressing room. I mean, it's packed. And I'm like, oh, it's Scotty and Holden Court. And I hear all these people laughing, and I walk in the room, and I look. And I start going, and it's Jack Black. I start going off on Jack Black. I just destroyed Jack Black. Jack Black has got nothing on me. And the whole crowd, by the end of the conversation, everyone was facing me, and he was in the back of the crowd. And I had said, okay, we're all laughing right now. Now get the fuck out of my dressing room when we get changed. And Jack Black came up to me. He's like, who are you? 
He goes, I said, I'm Billy, the singer from SOD. That's why in a couple of videos he wears the SOD shit and yeah. huge SOD fan. Really nice guy, too. One of the only real regrets I have from my from my career, now just career understanding, is that I actually turned down School of Rock. Uh, I got offered it, and I just was afraid to do it. I just That level of success, I don't think I would I would do well in. Not that I couldn't be successful in it. I just don't think spiritually that's what I want in my life. Yeah. I mean, look, I like playing punk rock. I mean, it's punk rock, you know? I like playing punk rock. I like getting on stage and telling people they suck, you know? And I like being that bad wrestler guy. I know where you all live. You're mine. I'm going to break you in half. I like being the villain. But unfortunately, in the entertainment industry, more so the movie industry, it's so politically regulated that I don't think they understand that Billy Milano is a character I portray. So it's like Hulk Hogan doesn't walk into a food store wearing a yellow boa. I'll break you in half, lady, if you break my eggs. Don't you dent my bread. I'm going to snap you in two. You know, he doesn't do that. He's a he's a human being, and he goes about his life, and then when it's time to put on a character, he puts it on. And that's just part of life. I mean, Archie Bunker didn't walk around going, hey, meathead, I need a sandwich here. You know, Carol O'Connor was an actor. I mean, everyone, Robert De Niro... And Al Pacino are not mobsters. They just portray it. Joe Pesci as well. I mean, these are these are characters that people portray. And the mm. industry is very manipulative and so sick morally. And even the music industry. The music industry is so morally corrupt and morally inept that I had to walk away from it. And that was in 1989. I mean, it was just sick to see... How much they lied to you to get what they want. It was just like, are you kidding me? You know? And they just said, it's not for me. But my dog, getting back to your thought in a <laughs> roundabout way, made me realize that it was the final journey, I think, for me. Now, you know, it's like this. Everything, you go to school in all different phases of your life, and it's all about getting into a regiment of understanding. A kindergarten, you learn how to socialize. First through fourth grade, you learn the basic skills of community. Of, uh, fifth grade to eighth grade, you learn the beginning fundamentals of how to learn. High school, you learn how to retain and be rewarded from for retaining lessons that you haven't earned. And then you go to college to reinforce the fact that if you are a good citizen, you can be rewarded. And at the end of the day, they all work at Pizza Hut. So it's the total truth. I mean, it's, listen, if you really break down the social understanding, the psychological understanding of life, it really comes down to this. It comes down to the simplest thing we're taught from the beginning. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. Life is but a dream. That's all you need to know in life. Row, row, row your boat. Just go out and do your part in life gently down the stream. Don't cause problems. Pay your taxes and be a good citizen. Merrily, 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 merrily. Have fun and enjoy everything you can while you're being due diligent. Life is but a dream because in the end, it's all bullshit. <laughs> and that's what they, and that's, that's what they teach you. 
They they teach you to regurgitate. Mm. They don't teach you to be creative. Or to think. Or to think. There's no critical thinking allowed in Obamacare. Do you think that, like, you know, you're talking about, like, you're the character of Billy Milano, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, it seems like to me, I mean, part of the reason that people still, like, they, they venerate you, you, they talk about you, you're still considered, you know, an absolute leader of punk and metal and all that. But part of it is because of the character. I yeah. mean, the music, yes, but even more than that, it's just like the rumors and the 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 innuendo the talk the the like geez did you hear what he said last you know yeah. that's part of what has made you who you are and that's there's I, value I, I to that uh, i appreciate that I, I don't know if it's if it's if it's uh, unbridled fearlessness or stupidity <laughs> sometimes i say things that i say holy shit did i really say that even i say that but in the end of the day i don't give a shit i mean i've always been a, a free thinker and i've always been a free agent and I, more importantly, I've always been, uh, I've always been uh, carefree. Now, a lot of people have said to me, Billy, you, you know, you're your own worst enemy. I'll never forget. I'll never forget this. My record label said to me, when I wrote USA for MOD, the first MOD record, which had the word N-word on it record, I didn't write that. Scott Ian wrote that, <laughs> right? I've always wrote songs that have been about pro-environment, I wrote No Turning Back and stuff like that. On the second SOD record, I wrote We All Bleed Red and all that stuff and Kill the Assholes. I've always been pro-community, absolute proof, no doubt. But when I wrote that first thing and I said it, everyone looked at each other and said, because we were listening to NWA at the time, everyone else looked at me and they said, well, Billy, this is including Johnny Z and Marsha Z. They said, you know, this is going to be a big controversy, but controversy sells. You know, they didn't say to me, hey, you know what, Billy, let me talk to you or something. This is what I would have done, Chuck. I would have said, let me tell you something. I understand what you're saying, and I understand that it's a joke. But what we're going to do is we're going to change it because it's not the right thing to do, and I'm going to tell you why. And that's the difference between me as a human being and the industry as, as not so human now, I've always been a person that's expressed without without reservation. I'm not afraid to have an opinion. How different are you from the way your dad was? Wow. My dad was an amazing human being. He was born to my grandfather, who was a man of nefarious means. Yeah, especially uh, giving birth to a... a- Oh boy, yeah, that's that's pretty nefarious. <laughs> yeah, well, my grandfather, my grandfather was a a man who made his fortune running tickets as a boy on the stock market in the nineteen early nineteen hundreds. So he made millions by stealing insider trading. And after the stock market tra- crash, he uh, he hooked up with some people up in Boston, and uh, they became bootleggers. One of them was Joe Kennedy. So my grandfather was a bootlegger with Joe Kennedy and the, they ran molasses and shit like that. And they sold booze from Canada and brought it into the country. And my grandfather raised my dad, right? My dad fought in world war two. He was a, he, he got shot in the ass. We tell, we asked, he said, dad, how'd you get shot and shot? He goes, I ran out of a brothel and they shot me. This is what my dad would tell us, but we don't really know what it is, but he was a man that didn't like, he saw some horrors and he, he, he never spoke of it to his children. 
and he spoke several languages, Italian, French, and um, he spoke uh, English, but he never spoke them to us. And uh, he was a very learned man. He used to yell at me, read a book. And in eighth grade, he threw a book at me, and I picked it up and read it, and it was a, an amazing book. I still have it in my room right now. It was a book by Dale Carnegie, How to Make Friends and Influence People, mm-hmm. and I still have Classic. that book, that exact book. And uh, my dad was very learned. He was a Ford, uh, Fordham University graduate, became an assistant DA in New- in Brooklyn. He had 11 kids, and uh, he worked in the liquor industry. When my grandfather settled the debt in the 1960s, he was my grandfather was working with a man named Vito Genovese, who was a Genovese mob boss, and they had this liquor thing that was an offshoot of the bootlegging that had continued on. It was called Duggan's Do. And it was a company that um, that uh, that my father would, my, grandf- my grandfather told my father to run for him. And so he walked away from being a, a lawyer and ran the company. But uh, there were some people that are around the house that were interesting that I've <laughs> met. I mean, I've seen some amazing pictures of my dad with Fido Genovese and Lucky Luciano, who stood as his godfather. And at his baptism, we have pictures of it. So, you know, even during the Depression, my dad was treated like a king. So, but he was a very good man. He was very stern with us. He kicked our asses when we needed it. And boy, was he smart. And everything he said to me made sense now. So, yeah, man, he's, he's a little different than me. I'm a little bit more streaked than my dad. But uh, my dad was nobody's fool, and he was one of the wisest men I've ever met. You had a good relationship? Well, let's put it to you this way. My dad never understood why I shaved my head at being a skinhead. I mean, I was never a Nazi, but I was always a skinhead. And uh, he never understood that. And he never understood punk rock. He never understood any of it. But it wasn't his generation to understand. I mean, people looked at Elvis and said, that guy's going to corrupt you. And now look at him. Now it's every old person's wet dream. <laughs> but um my dad and I had a had a amicable relationship but uh, at the end we became friends and uh I had uh, some very tough times with him when he was very ill and uh you know it, it's what it is you know at the end of the day you honor your mother and father and that's the absolute facts you got 10 siblings i mean that's a uh... Oh, they're all brutal. They kicked the shit out of me. <laughs> are you the youngest? Or I'm the second the youngest. My dad used to say to me, Mr. Bill, don't worry. One day you're going to be bigger than all of them. And I used to laugh. But my brothers, we own a liquor distributor. They used to stick me in containers full of vodka to unload. So I'd be by myself lifting 2,000 cases of vodka a day and then loading trucks since, you know, 14, 15 years old which is why I got this svelte figure. <laughs> but uh, I was always quite the bruiser when it came to my hands. And, um, you know, I got to be honest with you. I, uh, I, was, I was truly blessed to have the opportunities that I have in my life. A lot of it I saw coming. A lot of it I turned down because I really didn't want it. But, you know, my dad is installed in me. His cynicism is in me. And if, I'm 50 years old now. So even though I still see myself as that, 18-year-old kid, I don't feel it. <laughs> but I definitely have my dad's understanding of life and logic. And that perspective changes, obviously, when you get up the sure, other because, side. You know? Yeah, because you know what? The truth is you go from being a student to a teacher. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, I try to tell people, and I go on stage, and people, I go on stage now in the last six years, and I say it right before we play the last song. The most important thing you can do is honor your mother and father. And everyone looks at me like, is this serious? And I'm going, and I tell them, of course. If you learn what that really means, then it'll change everything you do. Because at that point, you'll be conscious about your decisions. You'll have thought them through, and you will make them in a way that that doesn't hinder or impede progress. And that, to me, is the most important thing that I think I can do as a as a as an adult. But more importantly, I think uh, as a human being, I, I it's my way of saying, "Here, let's give back." <laughs> Sucks podcast today. It's close to midnight. It's something evil's lurking in the dark. Under the moonlight, you see a sight that almost stops your heart. You try to scream, but terror takes the sound before you make it. You start to freeze as holy looks you right between the eyes. You're paralyzed, cause this is thriller, thriller night. And no one's gonna save you from the beast about to strike. You know it's thriller, 
Chuck Billy, Chuck Billy, how far have we fallen? Uh, from the thriller, a metal tribute to Michael Jackson, Chuck Billy doing thriller. I think the lesson there, kids, is own your home. <laughs> oh, man. Don't, don't uh, have a mortgage. How do they talk him into that? How do, I mean, really, how do they do that? The whole album is pretty... Uh, it's uh, it's kind of sketchy. There's there's some decent people on there, man. I'm a big fan of Doug Pinnock. Doug Pinnock does a song on there. I mean, uh, I dig Lejean, Angela Moore. Yeah, uh, Lejean from Seven Dust. There's some good stuff on there, but it almost sounds like they did one take with yes. everybody. Like they, they drug them into a studio and said, do it. Yeah. And they knocked it out and then walked away. And that was it. And now we get a metal tribute to Michael Jackson. Yeah. Hooray. Oh, man. Hey, uh, Metal Sucks Podcast is brought to you by uh, ToonTrack, man, the Swedish software company behind uh, the drum samplers and software tools many of your favorite bands rely on for songwriting and studio work. Easy Drummer, Superior Drummer, Easy Mix 2, and more all throughout November. They're celebrating Metal Month, which is, of course, at the end of this week. An entire month de- dedicated only to metal. Head to ToonTrack.com for new gear, deals, and happenings. Thank you uh, very much. Yeah, thank you, ToonTrack. And uh, dude, yeah, I don't know, man. It was, do you think that the tribute album thing is that worthwhile half the time? I mean, there's so many tribute albums out there. Like uh, I've I've got the Judas Priest one. I've got the Iron Maiden one that they did. There's a tribute in there, a Kiss tribute one too. There's like a, a you know just basically bands doing 
other bands. This is all cover songs or whatever. They're all kind of lame, aren't they? And they're all pretty lame for the most part. I mean, there's every once in a while you'll stumble across a really good cover, but not, not an album's worth. Not a whole album's worth most of the time. It's a, it's that's a that's a struggle in my mind. I'm just offended that they did it for Michael Jackson. I mean, the dude was effing little boys. <laughs> he was effing little little helpless children. Allegedly. No, come on. <laughs> I don't think that was ever proven in a All court right, of it law, wasn't proven. But what you know what I'm saying? The dude was effing little boys. You don't pay tribute to a man who effs little boys. Living dead, I don't care. But he's the king of pop, bro. King of popping king little of, boys. <laughs> cherry popping daddy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I get that, and I under I, that's one of the that's weir- offensive. That's one of the weirdest things about the legacy of Michael Jackson. That's always made me kind of go, well, "Wait a minute, wait." So we're just gonna di- we're just gonna disqualify this whole thing about him, you know, having a having a carnival at his house and, oh, and Jesus juice and sickest. all that stuff. Like that stuff, we're just gonna forget about all that stuff. Oh, Mark and the fact words. that he died of a drug overdose. And One or a, all know, of those kids of are gonna do an autobiography, and once they're old enough to do it, and they've lo- you know not made it Dude, in Hollywood, they want they're wanted. old enough to do it. Yeah, I know. all of them are old enough I know, to do it. And they're, they're like but, in their forties now. His kids? No, no. You're I'm talking, talking about, about his kids. kids. Oh, I he, thought I thought you meant the kids. His that he, kids, oh, okay, man. Okay. The ones he adopted and slaved for this kind of BS. Uh, I don't the, know. Man. It's going to come out, and then the legacy will be over again. I'm. Pr- I promise you. I don't you. think the legacy. I think the legacy is bigger than all of that. I no. mean, I think it's bigger than everything, man. No. It really is. It's like that gigantic metal statue in whatever man movie he made. You know, it's it's history. It's, His story. It's just. Um. I think he's just too big for that. And I mean, we 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 got a whole metal album now dedicated to uh, Michael Jackson, Chuck Billy. The, the, I, I, there's no way. There's no way. Either the dude owes somebody else a hell of a lot of favors, a hell of a lot of money. Uh, or he didn't know what he was doing until he got in there. Oh, he knew what he was doing. I mean, you heard him. He even did the Vincent Price part of that, man. He did the whole thing, buddy. Man. Hey, man, this would be fun. This would be a good idea. Do you uh. think this is the reason that the bass players are dropping off the <laughs> Testament tour? Because <laughs> they were going to do that for the encore, maybe? <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. That, sorry, guys. We got to. This is part of my contractual obligation. We got to do Thriller as an encore every night. Uh, oh. Obviously, you couldn't talk the rest of the band into doing it. Well, because it's, it's only like on that on that particular track, it's only listed as uh, Chuck Billy. Uh, right. You know, featuring Chuck Billy, so I have no idea who the rest of the musicians are on there, man. It's like, oh, brutal, brutal. It's just for, terrible. And I, but and, but like I'm saying though, I don't think I just don't think a tribute album. I haven't heard one that's turned out really, really well. I mean, I think maybe Nati- the Nativity in Black one that uh, came out the Sabbath tribute album. I want to say it was in the '90s sometime. But it, it had a bunch of really good Sabbath covers on it. But a lot of them were assembled from other albums. So, right. like a lot of you know, it was Faith No More's uh, cover of War Pigs was on there, and that was all that was on the Real Thing. Uh, you know, so it was these covers that were already done. That was like the only bad song on Real Thing too. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. What are you talking about? Dude? Uh, the that, rest of that, that album. That, that cover brilliant. was badass, man. Uh, that cover was so good. It, it didn't feel right on that record. No, it, it didn't. Doesn't it, feel it, right. it didn't feel right. But I thought it was a great cover, though. Maybe I, so. I think it worked really it worked well. better on the Black Sabbath tribute album. Didn't work well on the real thing. Yeah, and, so there you go. And that's the thing is that I think that there's. Some, I guess there's some place for it because there was also the when their Pantera was at the electric funeral version. Uh, that Pantera uh, did, or yeah. uh, one of the ones that Pantera did, was on that album. Uh, but but I mean, you know, every once in a while you'll stumble across some that are really good and on their own, 
you know, Planet Caravan was on on Far Beyond Driven. Yeah, you know those covers are not bad. Sepultura used to do uh, 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 Symptom of the Universe. Yeah, that was yeah, pretty yeah. awesome. But I think it's really um, it's really weird when you. Hey everybody! Let's all get together this weekend and let's let's play blah 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 songs. Let's Dude, do a it, Justin Bieber cover album. If it were 1985, and the only way you can hear anything is when you put the LP on your record player or mm. the cassette into your car stereo. Okay, it makes a certain amount of sense, but it's 2013. All I need to do is get one track at a time anyway. Yeah, well, that's what they're doing right there. I mean, nobody's going to buy that whole album. Nobody's going to go to the store and buy the entire tribute to uh, Michael Jackson metal album. They're going to go to iTunes and go, huh, Chuck Billy, boom, click, got it. And check that out. Or if they're a fan of Doug Pinnock, or if they're a fan of uh, LeJohner, you know, they're going to buy that song because that's what they want. Or they're going to listen to it and go, I'm not going to buy any of this crap. Yeah, no. Do you think that maybe they thought it might turn out good? Well, no. I, 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 maybe. Maybe they think they did. They, it did. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> but I think it's weird when they kind of assemble people to do something like that and not just let it happen organically. Yeah. You know, like if people are doing covers of that band, that means they love that band. And that's, I even thought the one that they did, what well, the deep purple one that they did this year, I can't help you. I'm sorry. Had Iron Maiden doing a space trucking cover had, uh, you know, it was a bunch of different bands that were Why doing is Iron Maiden paying tribute to anybody other than themselves. Oh no, it was a tribute to, it was machine head. It was the, like the anniversary of machine head. And uh-huh. they, they all did uh, covers from machine head. Got it. Uh, I think Metallica was on it too. Like there, uh, it was actually a pretty big one and it was sort of, I don't know. It was kind of lame in a weird way, but, but I think when they, they commission people to do songs for other bands, or of other bands, that's kind of weird. It's whole. It's wholly different when you feel that song and bring it into your band and make it part of your band and then put it back out. Yeah, like like Garage Inc. Yeah, all right, that's the way to do it because the, they feel that stuff. Yeah, that, you know that Diamond Head cover is is part of the band now. Hell, most of the world doesn't think that Diamond Head wrote that song. I know, at this right? Point I know. Anyway, it's you know? Like they would have no idea. Or Misfits? Or Are you kidding? Budgie. Yeah, who, the hell's, budgie. who the hell's Budgie? <laughs> Meanwhile, Budgie are like, about. that's the only money they ever make. <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Like, Thank God for Metallica right <laughs> yeah. now. Otherwise, we'd be broke. Totally. Man. I don't know. I just think it's, I think it's a weird... Yeah, it's a weird fine line that you got to be careful with sometimes, and you know the fans are ultimately going to dictate what what people get. I think the I think the trend of metal paying tribute or metalizing pop songs now uh, just makes me want to shoot myself in the face because I'm so tired of it now. I can't. Yeah. I, I think it's so overdone. It's now. getting close to the Christmas sweater status. It really there. is, yeah. man. I think the I think it's um, just about done. It's got to be, man. I. I enjoyed the death metal version of Friday when it's like completely mocking whatever's going on. Like right. that's fun, but eh, I don't need to hear the death metal version of Wrecking Ball. Right, <laughs> you know, right. It's like, oh. Well, it seems uh, like it just feels so easy to do. I mean, you want to get your band attention. This is another great way true. to do it. We talked about this last. Yeah, week. that is true. You want to create some kind of controversy or drama about it. Do something like this, or, or at least you know, put out something that people are going to go, oh, "Oh, I'll check that out because there's something familiar about it." You know, like I was talking about last yeah, week. Yeah, there's yeah. a familiar character or actor, true, and it's you know, it's a great way to do it. But man, it's so easy that it's now just gotten right over done. Uh, Which is surprising that not more people are putting out metal Christmas albums. Dude, don't give any, don't give anybody ideas. 
<laughs> There's already one out. I Dude, forget who put it out. Don't give anybody any more ideas. Yeah. I mean, granted, uh, granted, I can always use more music for my Christmas uh-huh. show, but but still, I just I, I'd this ra- doesn't need to happen. Personally, I'd rather if you're going to do a Christmas album, it be original Christmas music. See, I want brand new Christmas. Okay, songs. now that's okay. I, yeah, and I did. There was a collaboration that they did with a bunch of different people where they did uh, classic songs, and I thought that was actually pretty good because it's also songs that are are really well known like that that are that are a hundred years old some of them you know christmas carols and stuff like that you know michael jackson it's 20 years old 25 yeah. years old and that's like yeah i don't get it man we're gonna try to try to start a mosh pit at that uh carol singing at the capitol <laughs> you wanted I've, to do I've that been for one, years yeah like five years now i keep on asking you and you're like uh, that's because we're in texas man they got snipers on that thing <laughs> it, it's a whole nother beast uh, you know nowadays I just don't trust it. Well, that's I just why don't we trust get, it, man. That's why we get like a lot more people. And that way the odds of you getting shot are, are less. <laughs> we just increase increase the odds. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's no good. No, increase the odds of somebody getting shot, but lower the odds of us getting shot. Oh, okay, see, okay, okay. All right, all right. That's a, uh, I see where you're going with it's that. It's like Russian roulette, but with like instead of a six barrel gun. <laughs> you got eight, ten, twelve, yeah, yeah, okay. Fifteen. Uh, I think it's a I think it's a nine millimeter automatic. I, it's I gonna think it, it's gonna happen. I think it'd be awesome. You know, if you want to join us for a mosh pit at the uh, uh, Carol uh, thing here in Austin just you know post we'll, on we'll the... talk about that when we get closer to Christmas maybe well dude I think it happens in like two weeks oh well, then I'm not gonna be there <laughs> <laughs> sorry too bad uh, I'm gonna be resting get somebody to do a blast beat on That's the drums they, they dress up like a little drummer boy and everybody thinks oh look at that somebody brought a little drummer boy and then bah, 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 you know, I've, got, I've got Comic Con to think about this weekend <laughs> I've got I've got I've got so much stuff I gotta do other other than that I'm, I'm important things that, mm-hmm. that that are yeah not mosh pit related <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go do a stage dive at the Capitol for the caroling <laughs> yeah woo, jumping off the top of the Capitol bro uh, awesome we gotta wrap this show up dude we gotta be done with this uh, thanks to Billy Milano for being our guest this week. Yeah, thank you, Billy. Thanks to uh, Tune Track for bringing this uh, piece of crap to you. Do, and we, make a, do we make any disclaimers about uh, the the uh, Billy interview about like how we just sort of not, we don't necessarily agree with everything that he says. All of his opinions are his and yeah, his alone. Exactly. Uh, anything that he happens to say that might piss you off, uh, funnel that to BillyMilano.com. That's right. <laughs> Follow uh, uh, you at No Control Radio and Bearded Ape at Bearded Ape and you at Godless Speaks on on the Twitter box and all that good stuff and we post every Monday with the Metal Sucks podcast Subscribe I am Chuck I am Godless and this has been another edition of the Metal Sucks podcast Metal Sucks